Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. Living up here in uh, Western Washington, there are a number of activities that people like to spend their time doing. And one of them um, that my husband likes to do is actually surf. Have you ever been surfing? Not that I can recall. Well, surfing is an interesting thing, right? Because I think it takes a lot of skill and there's multiple facets to being able to learn how to do it. Some of it's timing, balance, so many systems involved that you have to really just practice over and over and over again. And just when you think you're good, something else changes and you have to reallocate and try again. And I think managing how we react to our lives, our world, and the emotions we have is much like learning how to surf. The problem is, is that, you know, sometimes the experiences that we have throughout life pummel us. (laughs) They're unexpected and unwanted and if you've ever not even surfed but just been jumping the waves in the ocean and you get hit hard and either take in a bunch of water or get pummeled over the coral it's really easy to sort of freak out and and be like i'm not going back in that water (laughs) i'm not surfing i'm not swimming and then you might even be tempted to vilify the water the board or yourself And really, that's at the heart of coping in life, that we have to learn how to navigate unexpected things or overwhelming experiences and our emotions. And I think a lot of people struggle with what to do with feelings, especially when they have the feelings about their feelings. Mm, Yeah. Feelings are tough. I mean, feelings are... uh... Sometimes they're part of your identity even. Sure. uh, Very protective. Like, wait, this is how I feel. Don't you dare tell me I'm wrong. People are very strong about their feelings. They, They are, for sure. Well, emotions are powerful. And, I mean, I would say emotions at the most fundamental level are energy. So they have to go somewhere. And I would offer that... We all have somewhat adaptive strategies for dealing with our feelings and some more maladaptive or ones that don't work very well. So one I would offer that doesn't tend to work very well is actually avoidance. Yeah. Right? Yes. (laughs) We can put procrastination, avoidance, both of those in the same thing. And that the problem with that is coping is that it actually reinforces itself. And what I mean by that is that... How do you mean? Yeah. What I mean by that is that when I avoid that thing that feels overwhelming, heavy, or hard, 
guess what I feel when I don't have to do it? I feel relieved. I'm like, whew, I did not have to deal with that. And now I feel better and I can just go on with my day. Right. The problem is that I now didn't do that thing that was hard, heavy, overwhelming, or scary. And so then I'm going to, when that thing comes up again, do you think it's going to be any lighter than it was the first time? It's probably going to be heavier. So what you're saying is uh, you get relief from the scenario, but maybe the burden of it truly doesn't really go away yet. Like it's still there. It's just sort of delayed. Right. So you actually are participating in a bind because what gives you the relief is actually what contributes to more of the problem. Mm -hmm. So here I don't want to do a paper or there's a project that's super overwhelming and I don't know what to do, how to fix it. So I don't. I just leave work that day and be like, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Except mm -hmm. that when you get in the next day and you then are like, oh, that didn't feel very good. So I don't want to do it now. <laughs> so now I'm escalating more of the negative energy or emotion around that hard thing. And so it only grows. And ironically, it's sort of like you actually forfeit having any feedback. So if I think that the project is hard or that I can't do it, and then I don't do it, guess what I'm telling myself by avoiding it? I can't because I don't have any data. I had no right. direct experience. So I show up to a game ready to play. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm going to win. I mean, can you imagine if we played sports the same way? Right. <laughs> We'd be like, oh, there's no game today. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that would be unfortunate. <laughs> right? But that's what we do all the time in saying, I'm going to avoid this thing that's way too big, hard, or heavy for me to navigate. And so I'm going to avoid it. However, if I'm like, you know what? I actually, I'm just going to start small. So instead of trying to complete the task, what I'm going to do is I'm going to commit to working on whatever project for 10 minutes. I don't care what that looks like. I'm just going to set a different criterion for my success so that I'm practicing exposing myself to that thing. Now I have data. Now I have a feedback, even in a different emotion that goes, look, you didn't want to do it. It was aversive and you did it. So who do you need to tell you you did a good job? Right. Because <laughs> you, you know that was hard for you and you did it anyway. So... If we could shift the lens of how we look at emotions to really being this sort of skill and unskilled, and that we all have propensities as based on what we've practiced. And so some of the things, like maybe even in the workplace, we're really good and we can, you know, rock it over here, but maybe it's our health habits right. that we tend to struggle with. You see that a lot. You see people excel in their career mm -hmm. and, you know, sucking their health or sucking their marriage or something is getting the better part of them. And they actually will lean in in the areas where they're successful. So that's why you sometimes see people really lean into their career because, well, that's somewhat easy for me or it's easier than all these other things. Right. So imagine that actually what you're going to do is practice what we call distress tolerance. <laughs> like it's distressing to me to feel ill-equipped to do this activity, be it health-related, work-related, relational-related, 
And so now that's going to bring up negative emotions, but I'm going to tolerate those in a certain way so that I can still actually practice doing it. Mm. I mean, once upon a time, you weren't as skilled as you are today in your line of work, right? Yeah. Uh, yesterday I sucked. Today I'm better. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There, there, there definitely is because I've been podcasting since 2006. So there's definitely a record of all of my bad and all of my good or my attempts at being good or better at what I do. Right. And so how did you get better? When you had those bad days, did you throw in the towel? You're like, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I show up every day. Regardless, right? Better. Yeah. 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 Like if today's going to suck, oh, well, let's just get through it. Right. You know? You're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, but you got to show up. You got to get that time in, you know. Uh, you know, the, the age old uh, thought is that mastery comes after 10,000 hours of doing something. Well, I got to get my 10,000 hours till I'm actually, you know, mastery level or equipped. Right. So there's so many things in life wherein we start out at novice. <laughs> right. And some people are like, well, no, if I'm way over here, I'm a master or an expert in this lane, then I should think that I would be a, an expert or a master over here, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so it's really actually being willing to sort of look in the mirror and acknowledge sort of where you are. And that doesn't mean anything about where you'll be next week, next year, five years or 10 years. I just know if I don't start practicing, I'm not, I'm not going to get better. So when it comes to coping, what, what are some common paths to just practicing a coping? Like, give me good, one good example of practicing to cope. Well, I got to give one more caveat because I think okay. this is important and that I often use this acronym with people when they're trying to cope because, and it's HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT. Because if we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, your coping will invariably look different. I don't care if you're 3, 33, 73. Right. If you are hungry or hangry, angry, <laughs> lonely, or tired, you just have less to be able to navigate it. I mean, this is why at different life stages, some things can be harder. I mean, right? After having a child. Right. Right? A lot of times, both parents are not sleeping in the same way they once did. Right. That doesn't mean like, oh, Adam, you're, you can't do your podcasting, <laughs> but rather keeping that awareness in the forefront as sort of a filter to go, do you know what? I, I just have less today. So instead of $100 in my bank account that I get to spend, I've got like 60. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want that to deter people from practicing some of these skills because Again, we're all human, so I don't care what age or where you're at. It's if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you just have less energy. I've definitely made some poor decisions and coped very poorly in, in times of halt, <laughs> specifically hangry. Uh, my wife and I, we both will recognize a moment when we may not be on the same page. And it's like, are you hungry? Am I hungry? Is it because it's five o'clock or six o'clock or whatever time I might be in prep for dinner coming soon? Like... Sure. It right? can be very stressful for some reason. And it's it's because of just the feeling you have when you're when you're hungry, you have less to spend, as you said. Right, because why do we eat? What does it give us? Energy. You got it. <laughs> and so satisfaction. Yeah. And happiness. Connection, all these things. True. Yeah. So when you can name that and identify that as a component, it can change 
the way in which you ride that emotional wave, right? Because then you're not going toe to toe with Heather, <laughs> right? You're like, right. oh, we're both we're both just hungry, so let's. Both- Which usually it's about where should we eat, where should we go to eat or what's for dinner, and it's it's like simple decisions pretty much, but for some reason these simple decisions have they're very hard to accomplish because of our inability to actually execute on the decision because we're hungry or right. we're tired or it's the end of the day or it's like, come on, you know, that's why, that's why a plan beforehand is always good for this and other scenarios. And you just named it. There you go. Yeah. There's one of the, the best ways in which we can cope. And so planning and or what, what I would call front loading Mm-hmm. are one of the ways we navigate it. I mean, I can remember back in graduate school when I was doing multiple roles because during that time I was in school. I also worked at a local university counseling center while I was also working a practicum, practicum site over in a different area of Los Angeles. And I coached a high-level competitive gymnastics team. So Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I had a master list of the books I would need for any given day of the week. I had what meals I needed to take, which changes of clothes I needed to take, and what assignments or other responsibilities in each lane were due according to that day of the week. Right. So when you started to fall down, you didn't fall down and be like, ah, my life. Right. The day's over. Let's go back and not play the game. It's, okay, what's my plan? Yeah, and even— Because you've already thought about it beforehand, right? You've already done the work of thinking through it. Right. The key is that like we're going to fare better, like our frontal lobe is going to come online more when our emotional reactivity is less. Because remember that emotional processing part of the brain, we can sort of get a cog there and that we won't process information in the same way, which is why it's so much harder to make some of those decisions when you're stressed or overwhelmed or there's more of an emotional load. So it's sort of like I, how can I calm down and then I can plan even more effectively? I can do meal planning for the week. Front loading would look like the same day of the week, I do these sort of routine behaviors, be it getting gas, getting groceries, meal planning, any of the things that, I mean, at the heart of this is sort of like bill pay, right? right. If I set them up in advance, I know my bank is going to handle those responsibilities, and then I don't have to allocate my energy to do those things. Right. So then, apart from planning, if I'm going well, I'm still pretty activated. It's really hard for me to calm down for whatever reason. There is what we call grounding. Okay. And so grounding is a psychological experience wherein you actually attend to the senses. So what sensory data are you taking in Live Because senses are all real time. I'm not seeing something that I saw last week or yesterday. It's what's within my visual field right now immediately. So it might be, you know, if you're in your office, there's a chair, there's bookcases, your computer, your keyboard, all of the things. And then it could be, what do I hear? What do I smell? Uh, What do I taste? All of these things orient you to what is actually happening Not that sort of background chatter that your brain wants to shout at you. So Mm. sometimes when we're anxious, one of the the words we give to a way in which we think that doesn't work well is catastrophic thinking. So Mm. catastrophic thinking is this way in which I'm imagining every possible, plausible, wretched outcome I could come up with. 
And it's amazing how many things the brain can come up with. <laughs> yes, it is. It, you're not thinking very rationally at that moment. You're thinking very irrationally. And pretty much anything you dream of is like chicken little almost. The sky is falling. It is. And, and it's not really falling. And imagine that when you're in that place of anxiety, like rational thought does has no effect. I mean, imagine you're trying to have a conversation with a two-year-old in a grocery store about why they can't have candy. Like they don't really care. No. <laughs> no, they, they just want what they want when they want it. That's right. So, two-year-olds, come on. So in some ways, we all have this like inner two-year-old that likes to hang out and wreak havoc and wants what they want when they want it, how they want it. Wow. <laughs> I know. All that's really interesting to even think about. <laughs> right. Because that's true. That's true. And you, you see that play out too with people often if you, if you have conflict at least, right? That you see somebody sometimes in their two-year-old state or that inner two-year-old, you know, kind of wreaking havoc. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's really hard to have more adult-like rational conversations. And then you end up having to try to talk to Chicken Little, which really doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere. And so right. the name it to tame it. What do I see, smell, touch, taste, or hear? And literally, I mean, you can even feel the different textures around you, be it your desk or, you know, computer, keyboard, et cetera, so that your brain's like, this is what's actually happening live, real time, not any of the plausible things I make up in my head. So along with that would be the name it to tame it. So when I can say what I'm feeling or what is going on, it really helps me navigate things different. I know I've mentioned that it's more of the limbic system, which does the emotional processing, but like all things with the brain, it's never that simple. So more of our right frontal lobe is also responsible for emotion, whereas many, not all, but most many language is a left hemispheric function. And so when I name it, it's sort of like I, I manage the teeter-totter of right. the right emotion and the language left. So it's like, whoo. I came back to some you got sort balance. of Yeah. Yeah. So then you don't feel quite so out of control and then you can shift even to the planning or problem solving. Right. Well, let's go further to strategies then because I think that uh, there there isn't one on the list that we have here to go through but or at least one that uh, that I've done recently and I'm sure there's way more than this list. The exhaustive list of coping strategies is probably many. It is. Um, but sometimes when you're super angry, maybe the easiest way to Calm down is just to be quiet for a while, you know, for example. You know, what are some good strategies to to step away from, like, these emotions really taking over? Well, I think if you can hold on to the fact that emotions are energy, which means you're going to do better when you move them or maneuver them. Okay. This, this is why when we're anxious to just sort of sit still, it's like I'm going to want to tap my foot or <laughs> move back and forth or click my pen very irritatingly, right? <laughs> Because I'm trying to move or discharge that emotion somewhere. So if you're really angry, exercise. There really isn't a better all-around strategy for managing our feelings and exercise. Because, wow, yeah. Because well, imagine that happens a lot too. It, it actually exercise. It does a lot to your body. You know, you're obviously your joints, uh, your back, different parts of your muscle release, cortisol, I believe, or different. You know. Different things happen basically because your body moves and 
it's definitely a different reactive state that your brain is in when you're in that kind of motion too. It is. It's really fascinating because actually exercise as well, research has shown that it tends to increase or improve brain plasticity. And what I mean by that is literally like exercise is yoga for your brain. Wow. So you're able to move and maneuver more adaptively when you exercise. It, it makes your brain more pliable. Much of what I encounter in working with individuals struggling with anxiety, depression, a lot of the times I'm trying to increase or improve this flexibility in their mind that life and the way in which they see the world doesn't have to be black or white. It's mm -hmm. not binary, either this or that. There's some gray area in there. Yeah, exactly. And so... When we're at that heightened place of emotion and we can't really reason with ourselves, we're apt to try to um, reduce things to make them very black and white, like either it's this or it's that. And there's so much in life that really isn't black and white. And so you can't really ever feel like you get a grasp on the emotions because it's like your brain will remind you of one other caveat or one other way in which you can see it. And you're like, oh, I thought I had that shut down. Right. <laughs> So exercise, moving, and once upon a time, we used to think that like with, with anger, that it was better to do more angry outbursts. So to be more physical, like fighting or things like that. And that's changed. We don't necessarily think that, you know, using aggression or feeding that sort of way in you, but rather mm -hmm. think of it like sublimation. I'm a bartering one emotion for a different one. Right. When you brought up some brain chemicals, and one of the key ones that gets released when we exercise is dopamine. So you get that huge rush. This is why if you've ever heard like runners talk about runners high, what they're actually referencing is that high on dopamine. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you're done with the marathon, you're like, okay, next one, please. <laughs> Unless obviously it took you way longer than it should have and you're, and you're depressed or your feet are falling off. But, you know, the best time to sign up for the next marathon is after the existing one right because and you're high on it sure and if you think about it from even a multi-dimensional perspective when you're exercising like outside think of all the sensory data that you're taking in while you're moving your body well yeah you're getting experience well for one vitamin d from the sun likely because you're probably running the marathon outside <laughs> um potentially in clouded or you know overcast day but still yet yeah, you're still getting some rays mm -hmm. yeah you're getting to see a lot of nature and and Whenever I get to experience more of the world, more of the nature, more of the natural things in the world, there's happiness that sort of comes with that. There's there's joy that comes with, you know, me in particular getting out the mountain bike. I go out into the woods. It's great because I'm exercising and I'm also experiencing the world. Right. I can see the textures and the colors of the world. And it's just it's different than my office or my home or my truck or whatever. Right. But it's all real time, Adam. Yeah. All of that sensory information is live. So your brain isn't in fast forward like anxiety about what's to come. And you're not depressed going, oh, no, what did I do that I still need to do <laughs> that I forgot? You're actually living live now. And that's also what feels so good. So being um, in the present, you mean? Yeah. Being, being in the here and now. Being in the here and now. That like our brains are always wanting to sort of hijack us or emotions sort of move us to the future. Like some people would offer that when it comes to mental health, we're really trying to manage aspects of chaos and rigidity. Just like that teeter-totter, right? Like too emotional and I'm just 
all the chaos or I'm too rigid. Like everything has to fit neat and tidy into a box. But what's ironic is in life, a lot of things don't fit neat and tidy into a box. And so if that throws you over into more chaos, now you don't have the same strategies or files to fit the things that are supposed to fit. And now you're in trouble because, because, because all the Mm -hmm. things as a result of that. Coping kind of reminds me of habits in a way because you have something that sort of cues this emotional charge, you know, the, the emotion attached to whatever the scenario is and how you deal with it. The coping practices, like how you navigate troubled waters, right? Like that's what coping is. Right. How and you resolve something. Right. And that's why, too, you might be really skilled in one area because that cue carries a different emotional charge than a different one. So you could say professionally or in my work, I feel incredibly competent and skilled and master. But then I move over here into relationships and it's like I'm back down at the novice and maybe sometimes get up to beginner. But that isn't reinforcing then, right? Unless you figure out a hack to be able to build in the positive feelings around the skill acquisition. Mm. So how, if, if it is that I want to use exercise and that isn't very skilled for me, then I want to go, well, what other thing am I more apt to do or that I would enjoy more? So you can think about, do I want to hang out with my friends and I really want to be able to go to dinner with them on Friday night? It's like, okay, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to schedule or queue up this aversive thing that feels hard, heavy, or overwhelming just before that or on that day, and then my reward gets to be that dinner with my friends thereafter. Right. Kill it doing this, and then as a reward, you get fun time with friends. Right. So I'm also building that dopamine as coming from something else, but I've now linked it into something else that would feel more chaotic or undesirable. So what would happen then if you didn't accomplish said hard thing that day? Would you just go to dinner anyways and feel just bummed out or what would happen? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. That's an awesome question. This is where really the shift, we want to move from being so fixated on outcomes, like it has to look like A, B, or C, to effort. I want to reinforce and reward the effort, not a particular outcome. Outcome, yeah. Okay, so basically if I try... Okay, pat on the back. You tried. You made you made an attempt to cope in a manner that is more healthy. Yeah. Rather than give up and not play the game, like we said earlier. Have you ever heard of SMART goals? Uh, it rings a bell, but I'm not familiar. So it, whenever we're looking at goals, we want them to be, quote, SMART, like an acronym. So is it specific, measurable, achievable, <laughs> right? right, realistic, and that there's a time associated with it. Right. And so if I just say I want to get better at X, Y, or Z, that's very unspecific. There isn't a time coordinated with it. So I can't necessarily measure the effort I put forth. So if it's related to a healthy habit, it might look like I'm going to, or something at work that's aversive, it would be that I'm going to spend 15 to 20 minutes on this project that I don't necessarily want to do. And that is my measuring effort as opposed to, you know, I completed the project, I I shipped it, or I lost a certain amount of weight, or I could fit into these jeans. But rather, I went to the gym or I went mountain biking for 20 minutes two times this week. Yeah. 
then it alleviates that pressure that it has to look a specific outcome. I like the focus on on the effort because I think we all try. You know, sometimes we try harder than other times. Sometimes we struggle to try harder, etc. But, you know, the outcome is always the variable. The effort is always going to be present, whether it's small or large. And I think we need to give ourselves some credit for even making the plan to try. And there's so many people who just get stuck on that part alone. And I know for me, like you just saying that about the results, I often will attach my happiness to a result rather than just showing up. And as we said earlier, showing up is half the battle to get better at something. You have to show up. Exactly, Adam, exactly. And I think that as well, everybody's evidence of effort is going to look different. So it's so variable. You can't really name or describe what the effort's going to look like. It's going to be different for you. It's going to be different for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think this is what I love with watching um, my son with his soccer team. Like all of the boys are around the same age, but their level of skill and, and even personal strengths and weaknesses are all varied. And as a parent, I've had to practice going, how can I see evidence of his effort? And we have conversations before game days and we work to identify an alternative goal that he can do as opposed to whether or not they win. Right. So I'm like, can you do a Maradona? This one skill. Can you, you know, stay on your feet? <laughs> for X amount of time. Like, I just want him to fall in love with the process of getting better and acquiring things that were hard because then you learn really like more of this grit that goes, I can tether in the positive feelings while it still sort of sucks. Yeah. Right? It's also building on something over the long term too. We often so focus on like microwaving results and actually... Results take a lot of, I mean, it's it's varied, but there could be a lot of time involved and just incremental, what I like to say, iterative change or iterative prog- progress. That's a that's a thing to also focus on because you, you, you can't microwave something and expect it to be amazing. You've got to, you've got to put in the time, you know. You do. And that's why seeing like those small changes repeatedly over time is so huge because, we don't always see the gains we make without more perspective. And mm-hmm. so I want to be able to feel good about whatever it is I'm working towards while I'm working towards it. Not because I, I hit that expert or master. I mean, you've been doing podcasting for how many years now? Since 2006. Right? And so why do you keep doing it? I don't know. I like it. It's fun. I get to meet people. Many, many reasons. You know, it's now turned into my job, so I kind of have to like it. There's an aspect, too, that pays. And I would offer that part of what pays for you is that experience of learning. Because each individual you interview or hear about their story, it makes you more curious. Right. Right. And then you get to interface with all sorts of different people with different strengths, ideas, weaknesses, et cetera. And that never gets old. In all honesty, though, one of my biggest motivators has always been to be a servant because there's a lot of things that we've done through uh, our main show, The Changelog and others, to serve the community 
of the software ecosystem, software developers, anybody in and around the software world, uh, tech entrepreneurs, technology, et cetera, you know, it, it's the ability to be able to see somebody in need and help them through something, hear their story and reinforce something, whatever. But in a lot of cases, it's really about uh, serving the community. Yeah. And so it pays for you to be able to help people struggle less. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if more people have access to information and that's what I would say with this. Right. If I don't know that there's other options for how I navigate my feelings, why would I choose something else? I didn't even know that it was available. <laughs> and so this is another thing when it comes to emotions is that we can have expectations. And when those expectations go unmet, we're apt to have feelings about those. And going, that doesn't infer anything about me, my value, or my competency. But we're really apt to sort of make meaning of things because that's kind of how we're designed as people, that we want to understand the value of different things, right? But we are all sort of in process and Even if I'm struggling in this way over here, it doesn't mean I can't get over there. But if I'm going to make meaning and say that I can't because I couldn't in this instance, now I'm going to struggle even more than where I was at the beginning. So moving right along, other options. This is an interesting one. Have you ever held a piece of ice for an extended period of time? Sure. (laughs) Right? This is an interesting one because it's sort of... I wasn't sure if it was a trick question or not. (laughs) Well, when we use... If you get a small piece of ice and allow it to melt in your hand, one, it, again, is process, so it doesn't happen immediately, but it also distracts you away from that internal chatter or the other overwhelming emotion while also sort of constricting blood flow. (laughs) So that because when we get activated and emotional, it's not surprising that our bodies react in multiple ways. And so holding a piece of of ice, one reminds me of the sort of crescendo and decrescendo that comes with feeling. So when I first take a piece of ice, it's really cold. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's almost jolting. Yeah. And very unwanted. You're like, I should put this down. Right. But if you allow yourself, and I'm not talking a huge piece of ice, but a a small piece of ice and go, okay, this won't last forever. I just have to ride it. And sooner or later, right, it the ice cube melts and your your hand numbs out a little bit. And that it then also gives you a file for what it's like to tolerate the negative emotion. When we're really super emotional, it's really hard to remember time. And so when I do that, it's helping me go, this is a file that emotions can look like, look like and it's going to come up and it's going to go down. But when I'm activated, it's really hard to reason with myself and tell myself it's not going to feel this way all the time, forever and ever, always, amen. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Geez, I, I really wish I could tell myself some of these things whenever I'm at that critical moment of high emotion in a moment because... I think I would tell myself, given that I have rational thought now and, and not then in those moments, chill out, like, <laughs> chill out, take a break or, you know, 
name it to tame it, deep breathe, whatever it might be, hold some ice, do something that is not uh, a negative response to this scenario and something that delays potentially even dealing with it. I know we said earlier that could be a kind of a bad thing, but maybe a delayed reaction to this thing might be better because I can put my frontal lobe on, I can put my lid on, as you've said before, and rationally cope with the the challenge at hand. Yeah, and that isn't a, a bad strategy in that sense. But the key difference is that you're actually going to come back to the thing or the feeling that's causing the upset as opposed to just I'm not going to deal with it again. Right. right? right. So that's a really important distinction when we're talking so, about it. So maybe not have like a deep conversation about something in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's pause this scenario here. Let's. This is important. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this, but just not right now. Let's talk about it when we're in better places, when we're not in halt <laughs> or whatever it might be, right? Yeah, I, I think of this a lot in working with uh, couples, romantic partners, in that a lot of times in the relational dynamic, there tends to be one individual who tends to be what we call the pursuer, who's going to like not come after, go after, relentlessly pursue. Whereas the other partner tends to be what we call the withdrawer. And so yeah. imagine the withdrawer is sort of like the turtle who hides out and the pursuer is like banging on the turtle shell, like, come out, come out. Let's talk about this. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the turtle's like, just leave me alone. I'm in my cave. <laughs> This, this visualization I'm having right now is so crazy. <laughs> well, and so having a time specified, like, and I say never longer than 60 minutes because the pursuer needs to go, I know we're coming back. <laughs> and right. We get and to revisit. Waiting. Right. Whereas the withdrawer gets to be like, whew, I get to breathe, hang out in my shell, my cave, like, give me 60 minutes and then right. I can re-engage around whatever upsetting thing occurred. So what would you do during the break then? Well, I might actually, for the pursuer, the person who wants to, you know, have the conversation, writing things down. We've talked a lot about the name it to tame it. Well, when I'm putting words to things, imagine I'm, that's still an action-based coping strategy because I'm, I'm maneuvering the data and I'm utilizing additional parts of my brain. Like I have to actually pay attention to the words, the feelings that are coming out in words in my mind. And then I have to engage my supplemental motor cortex as well as my frontal lobe, all of these different things in order to put the information down on paper. And then I'm ironically actually practicing for then advocating for myself in the relational dynamic. Right. Let me also throw one more in there. What you're actually doing too is you're channeling the existing energy and the emotion, mm-hmm. right? Since you said it has to go somewhere, well, why not put it to mm-hmm. pen to paper? That's a methodology of allowing that emotion to continue to flow. Yep. But, and maybe when you get to the scenario later on, you know, you're more calm about it because you've actually had some therapeutic moments with yourself. Exactly, exactly. And you feel far more equipped because it doesn't come out just like this gibberish of information, but rather, hey, I'm upset when you did X, Y, or Z because this is how I heard you say that to me. And then I was offended, hurt, angry, sad, you name it. Right. So it becomes far more, like, I would say the challenge in these sort of relationships is while you still feel vulnerable, you actually have to be your own advocate. Mm. And that's hard. Because when Super you're, hard. <laughs> yeah, well, you're activated and you're emotional and it's like, I got to get this out. I got to get this out. Because what you're trying to do is relieve the tension of that emotion. 
Right. What about the turtle? <laughs> well, and the turtle, they're going to do whatever they need to do as well. And I would still recommend the same strategies with writing things down. Also, breathing. You know, we haven't mentioned that. But what a lot of people don't realize is, ironically, when they get upset, they, they hold their breath. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> and so that's you don't I love my Apple Watch. My Apple Watch reminds me several times a day, even if I don't listen, to breathe. Yeah, because so this is really at the heart of the beginning of panic attacks when I mean, and always there's more to it than this, but you start holding your breath and then you can't breathe. And then your brain's like, hey, you're not breathing. Right. There's, <laughs> pan there's actual panic. <laughs> right. So I'm sending the signals like you're in danger. You're in danger. And now Which you've reinforce your concerns, yeah. Correct. You, you've catapulted a whole cycle. And that's why even just the five count, breathing, breathing in for five and breathing out for five. Breathing in for five seconds and discharge and breathe out for five seconds. Wow. I know. We should tell our audience to do that right now, this listening to just pause the show and breathe. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to breathe in. Ready? One. Two, three, four, five, and breathe out. Two, three, four, five, and one more time. In, two, three, four, five, and out. Two, three, four, five. How do you feel? I feel better. <laughs> it sounds like you've done this before. Is this not your first time doing that? It, it is not because okay. this is what I help teach people how to do. And that's why it really is acquiring a skill. Mm -hmm. One of the things I also incorporate with deep breathing is what we call visualization or a guided imagery. I, you can find these on like YouTube um, practices. And I want to say there are other apps that have it. I'm, they're just not coming to mind right now. But what it is is imagining a scene. And oftentimes they're like a forest scene, a beach scene. It's some way in which, again, you're going to utilize all the senses and walk through it. Right. And maybe we do this in an upcoming um, episode. But we walk through what it's like when you come to a beach and you can see the sun and the water and the sun glistening off of it. And you can feel the breeze that is at the ocean and you smell the air. So I'm gonna walk you through and I'm gonna speak to every sense. Probably not taste unless you're going to be eating something on the beach. <laughs> you can be tasting the uh, ocean water in the air. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so all of these things help remind your body that like there isn't a real and active present danger that you need to react to. Mm. I used to do something similar whenever I lived in upstate New York and it was really cold. I would imagine Florida or a beach. I'm not sure if it's the same thing, but I would basically trip my mind from thinking, wow, you're really cold right now to it could be a little bit warmer or whatever it might be. <laughs> right. Well, so this, is, that the, is that the same thing, this visualization, sort of mind trickery, so to speak? It is. Well, this is sort of... I don't know, I think odd in some ways, but totally makes sense. But our brains don't really know the difference, whether it's real or imagined, because it has to run the same neural network. So whether I'm picturing myself in Florida at a beach or I'm really in Florida at the beach, 
it's it's running the exact same thing. So imagine what you're trying to do is cultivate this entirely new neural network that goes, here's my cue, I'm emotionally charged, and here's how I run that play. Then it, you just change the entire way in which an experience feels because you've told your mind, this isn't the threat that you perceived it to be. Is that similar to public speakers when they say, imagine the audience naked? Because, <laughs> I mean, if, if an audience is naked, they're they're the ones vulnerable, right? Usually when you're naked, you're vulnerable. Sure. So yeah. maybe less of a threat. Is that the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's a strategy to sort of calm their brain so that they're not sort of in the anxious place around what is everybody thinking, imagining, perceiving, et cetera, which, right. you know, we're never in charge of how other people hear what we say. The things I've heard people say I've said, I'm... I did not say. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting, this mind trickery. I, I think I, I like I like the idea that, I think we've talked about this before, but this idea that uh, you said uh, our mind doesn't understand that it's now or if it's, if, or if it's real or if it's you know, manufactured, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that because it's, it's a way you can acquire skill even, right? It, yes. Yeah. If you watch somebody else do something that you really enjoy, maybe you sort of like your brain thinks you've done it and somehow you've acquired this skill, maybe even some courage. Sure, sure. Because it's further enhancing that network that goes, this is the way we play. And so this is why even it's, I would say, used a lot more often in athletics that you get filmed. And so when you see yourself being filmed, it also facilitates more of that comprehensive picture of you doing whatever skill or play so that then you can picture how you want it to be done mm-hmm. and carry that out. So this is why I'm so fascinated by the brain. There's so many things around how we can do our lives and and really to help them feel better because, you know, we don't, I, I don't know, we get a second go. <laughs> it's, right. I just want whatever we're walking through. Like I think life can be, incredibly enjoyable. But if we're not considerate of or reflective around our minds as sort of our our steering wheel, we're going to feel like everything just keeps hitting us and that we're not in charge of our lives and what happens to us. So what are some key takeaways for the audience then? If, if we're talking about coping and how to get through these emotional charges and these irrational thoughts we have in the moment of halt or whatever it might be? One, it's really important, like we talked about, that you can get where you want to go, but that it's going to take practice like all things, and we never get better at the things we don't practice. And so I often talk about approximating the live event because whenever you're trying to learn these new ways, you'll think about it after the fact, like, oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda done X, Y, or Z, when I got upset, when I got activated, mad, et cetera. But remember that when you're emotional, that it's that same part of the brain responsible for emotional processing is memory. So it can be really challenging to retrieve some of these things that we've talked about because they're new. So I would write them down and put them somewhere in your visual field so that when moments come, you know where to look and you don't have to rely on your memory in order to retrieve the things. So you can go, let me pick from my list of five and then experiment. 
go try. Even if it's after the fact, even if it feels silly, you you won't find out. You forfeit vicariously if you never are willing to try. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Brain Science. If you haven't yet, please join us on this journey. We have so much to explore. Subscribe to this podcast at changelaw.com slash brain science. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast and anywhere else you can get podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Brain Science FM. You can also join our Slack community. It's free to join. Talk about all things brain science with me, Marielle, and the rest of the community. And if you have topics or suggestions for the show, we want to hear them. Email us, editors at changelaw.com. Huge thanks to our partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our beats. And last but not least, if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed to get all of our podcasts. Head to changelaw.com slash master or go into your podcast app and search for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. It's one feed to rule them all. Get all of our shows plus some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon. Bye.